Je luistert naar een boodschap van C3 Church Amsterdam en Almere. Wij zijn een kerk van geloof, hoop en liefde. Voor meer informatie over onze kerk kun je terecht op onze website c3amsterdam.nl of c3almere.nl Wij geloven dat deze boodschap jou vandaag zal bemoedigen, inspireren en bekrachtigen. Fantastic. So we're kicking off a brand new series today called Holding Nothing Back. Um, for the next four Sundays, that's the subject we're talking about. It's uh, a desire of ours to ensure that not just as a church, but as individuals, we're positioning ourselves as followers of Christ that give ourselves uh, completely to Him. So who's ready for a challenge? It's awesome. Great to have Deborah here from uh, Estes Park, US of A. Uh, we've not met before, but um, she's a friend of a friend that I've also not met before, but uh, Lisby has. They went to Bible college together. Uh, Lisby should be here soon, I think. She's preaching in, in Almira this morning, which is called... Just one more thing before I dive into this message, uh, and that is this. In November, we're doing an outreach series for the four Sundays of November, and uh, we need your help to preach the messages in November. You have... Uh, a very rare opportunity to decide what we're going to speak on. Uh, usually um, uh, I decide or one of the team decides or God speaks to us about a particular thing, but uh, we're going to use the corporate consciousness <laughs> here. And the reason for that is this. You know your friends. You know who you want to bring. You know who you want to see saved. And so you know where they're at. So what is it they need to hear that, that will help us speak into their world. So, for example, you may go, well, we always have discussions about um, evolution or faith and science or um, about the authenticity of the Bible. And so we could speak on possibly many of those things. Um, might even uh, bring in some video experts or something on some of those topics so that we can make sure we're addressing those subjects and giving ourselves a chance to reach your friends. Is that good? So this is what I want you to do. Out in the foyer is a black whiteboard, and on there you're going to write your ideas. Cool? You write down your ideas. We'll sort of correlate it and categorize it and see if we can summarize it into a, a few popular topics. So, holding nothing back. Turn to someone and say, hold nothing back. Hold nothing back. Uh, okay, fasten your seatbelts, we're going to take off. This is not one of those sort of uh, uh, seeker-friendly messages. Um, Jesus, as you may well know, never used compromised language. Jesus was a fairly full-on type of person as he spoke, even though, of course, in his behavior, he embraced and he loved. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't find anyone more merciful and gracious than Jesus Christ but in his challenge to his followers, it was confronting. So he said things like this. He said, he who puts his hand to the plow, that is, he who sets his mind on following and then turns back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. Well, <clears throat> that's pretty confrontational. Does that mean I can never doubt? Does that mean I can never have a weak moment? Does that mean I'm cast out of the kingdom? Uh, he said this also, he said, uh, unless you hate your mother and your father and your brother and your sister and even your own life, 
you, are, you cannot be a follower, you cannot be my disciple. Uh, so uh, you're going, well, does that mean literally I have to hate everything else except Jesus Christ? Now, clearly he doesn't mean that. It's what we call hyperbole. He's deliberately setting up an extreme in order to provoke, in order to wake up and shift people's lives. Uh, now, us preachers are often um, accused of exaggerating, and it's not exaggerating, it's hyperbole in order to wake us up, in order for us to <laughs> respond. It's, it's a deliberate shift-making tool, and Jesus used the same. He used hyperbole as a shift-making uh, tool for your heart and my heart. Because he said we should respect our father and mother. Uh, we know that he's gracious, so if you have a weak moment or a doubting moment, you're not cast aside. So we know he's not meaning it literally. What he's trying to do is wake us up to this one thought, and it's both a simple thought and yet an extremely profound thought, and that is, is Jesus Christ the one we're fully and wholeheartedly devoted to before anything else? So if you ever had a choice in life, is it Jesus or is it my father? Is it Jesus? Is it my work? Is it Jesus or is it my children? Is it Je You know, without any doubt, without any choice, it's always Jesus. Now, most of us will never be confronted with that choice very often. We had a few moments earlier in our move here where friends and family did try and pull us home. It's like the emotional target, you know. You're so far away. Is it really? Does God really want you there? Why didn't you do it in England? And all that sort of emotional language. And, uh, and unless you've decided in your mind that Jesus is first, then you could end up honoring your father and your mother above Christ. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying, honor your father and your mother, but honor me more. And so this series is, is really about saying we should be people who are prepared to not just put Jesus first, but live full on for him, holding nothing back in everything we do and how we live, how we're... Uh, Lisby's going to preach an incredible message next week on, on being full on with our hospitality, just the sense of our generosity toward people. And, and, and so we're going to unfold this series of messages. I want to, um, I read the other day uh, our four core values, and I thought, my gosh, that sounds so much like holding nothing back. Surprise, surprise. So I thought I'd read to you the description of our four core values. First is hospitality which is really generosity and servanthood rolled together. And this is how I define it. We are committed to a culture of serving others generously. We won't stop short of helping others feel a million dollars and at home the moment we have contact with them. Hospitality. Faith. Sometimes I will call that devoted. We never do things by halves when it can be done with double passion, full of faith, believing for the best and the impossible. It's one of our core values. Presence of God. We will ensure everyone is lifted higher, taken further by the life-changing, impacting nature of the presence of God. It's one of our core values. Discipleship. We are fully committed to helping others being fully committed to following Jesus. And as I read that, I thought, my gosh, that sounds like uh, uh, holding nothing back type of principle. That is who we are as a church before and over and above all of that, Jesus is calling us as individual followers to be this sort of person. And we're trying to find better methods to do church. We're trying to find better ways to do church. And what Jesus is looking for is better men and better women. 
in all of our attempt to try and do things better. And we live in a society where you can read as many blogs as you like on the 10 tips of this and the, the three principles of this. And, and, and for as long as we think we can live life better by tips, we're missing the profoundness and the depth of what Jesus is really calling us to, and that is a life that is better in following him. So turn with me to 2 Kings chapter uh, 13, 2 Kings 13, and we're going to look at a story that uh, may be unfamiliar to you, uh, but yet is uh, a really good example of this. And I've called this message The Last Arrow. Um, if uh, you want some further reading on this, Erwin McManus uh, has written a book called uh, The Last Arrow. So uh, I've borrowed his, his title. And if you want to be inspired on how to live a life holding nothing back, that certainly will do it for you. 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 14. Right here we have uh, Israel under attack from a neighboring uh, army of the Arameans. And at the time King Joash was king, uh, he was not a follower of God, although he tried to show he was, but privately worshipped other gods and lived a compromised sort of life, as did his father, who was king before him, and his grandfather, who was king before that. Uh, so we're living in a time of history here where Israel wasn't doing so well. However, fortunately, they did have some prophets still alive to try and bring God's influence. One of those was a man called Elisha, who had been trained by another prophet you may have heard of called Elijah. Um, Elisha had lived a life of holding nothing back and so had some influence, consider, considerable influence in the nation. And so whilst King Joash was living a compromised life, a life that was apathetic and lazy towards God, uh, he at least did one thing right, and that is in a time of trouble, he turned to the house of God. And, and that's a good thing. You know, I think whatever point you're at in life, you may feel like, well, I, you know, I don't feel that full on for Jesus. I, you know, I've not done real great recently. And the fact you're sitting here is a wonderful thing. It's a great decision. And, so we read from that point, he, he runs to Elisha, scared of what this army may do. And, uh, and so we read it in verse 14. It's on the screen there. Uh, now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Um, now here, here's a thought, by the way. Joash is coming to him uh, for some advice and, and has one opportunity presented to him to make a difference. And then Joash dies, literally. He dies just after the visit. There are moments in our lives where we only get one chance to do something. And so one of my goals for us is to ensure we're living life with a sense of imminency and urgency. We need to know that there may not be a tomorrow. We need to know that uh, there is an urgency for us to live, knowing we're living all we can to follow him and seizing the opportunities he presents us with. Sometimes a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance comes around, but not every time. And in this case, it didn't. Joash uh, had this one moment. And so it says in verse 14, Joash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. That was a title they used for the prophet. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel, when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said. 
And he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha died and was buried. There ends the story. And so, um, uh, so we have this, uh, in a sense, slightly tragic story where Joash had an opportunity to defeat the army before him and, uh, and work with the prophet on how to do that, but he stopped short. He didn't keep firing to the last arrow. Now, actually, uh, if he had a quiver full of arrows, it would have been 24. Elisha was gracious with him. Uh, he said, if you'd only gone to five or six, you would have done a lot better than stopping at three. Uh, you're just lazy. Uh, you, you, and it's, uh, you know, Eli, uh, Elisha's expressing his, his anger and disappointment towards his very, towards his very king, uh, that he would expect more from his king. It's interesting, you know, that you never hear God rebuke anyone for having too much faith, only for having too little faith. <laughs> uh, you know, what, if you ever get accused of being too passionate, too full on for Jesus, you know that's not coming from the voice of God. That will be an accuser. It'll be the devil or some unkind friend who says, calm down, you know, you're in church all the time, what's all that about? Tithe, giving you 10%, that's crazy, that's over the top. Why are you doing that? Why do you, why are you always talk about Jesus? You're just so full on. Uh, you know those voices are uh, quite contrary to the voice of Jesus, who's actually behind you going, good on, you're full and uh, uh, good and faithful servant. He encourages people to have too much faith, not too little faith. Uh, fear the rebuke of being too little in your faith, not too much in your faith. But putting that aside, there are some thoughts I want to go through in this story that will help us know how to live a life holding nothing back. Living like Jesus asked us to, to not turn back, to put everything aside, to make sure Jesus is our absolute number one. And my first thought is this, Joash comes to Elisha and he says, my father, my father. You know, for us to live a life holding nothing back, we all need fathers mentors, mothers, mentors, and great leaders who are going to lead us into the great unknown. It is true, the future is unknown. It is true, the future has mystery to it. It is true that sometimes taking uh, steps of faith is, is emotionally difficult, and it, it's hard. If, if only I could predict the future, if only there were guarantees, if only I knew the outcome when Jesus said, step out, when Jesus said, take your next step, if only I knew that it would all work out okay. Uh, the truth is, God doesn't make those promises because not always does it work out okay. When we moved to the Netherlands, um, on just a nudge from the Holy Spirit, um, things did not work out very well for the first 18 months. It was tough. Did that mean it was not God's plan? Not at all. It was part of the shaping of us for our future. Don't ever judge whether you're in the right place or the wrong place based on circumstances. We're not called to an easy life. We're called to a life of holding nothing back to follow life. But we need other people in our world as, um, as people who will inspire us, who will, who will lead us, who will motivate us, who, who will put out there, paint a picture that says, come on, let's give it a go. Let's step off the edge of the cliff. Let's, let's go and do this thing. Let's try this thing. And, and whilst you're at home praying and praying and praying, you need people in your life who are acting, 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 
so that you can get some motion in your life, uh, which is equally as spiritual as your prayer. Uh, he's saying, follow me. Let's, let's go and do something. Let's make something work. So we need people in our world. My question to you, who is that for you? As a church, it's our role to be that for you. And so uh, being in church is, is so important for that. Uh, a pastor out of Singapore called Isaiah um, Fad, uh, uh, Fadslin uh, said this. He said, um, if, if you're a parent, um, if you're treating church as optional, uh, don't be surprised when your children begin to treat Jesus as unnecessary. <clears throat> Pretty challenging thought. Uh, your attitude toward church and toward Christ will, will uh, uh, directly and nearly every time influence the way your children go. Uh, your lack of passion will mean your children will be even less passionate than you. What runs in fathers will, uh, what walks in fathers will run in sons. I expect my kids to be more passionate than me. What's, what's walking in me should run in them. If I'm apathetic, then I expect them to be even more apathetic than me. I have a responsibility. So if I'm casual about church, don't expect them to be thinking Jesus is at all necessary uh, uh, in their world. Uh, we need role models that are going to take us somewhere. Who's your role model? Who are you following? Who's being an inspiration to you? I've had the privilege of meeting some, uh, just some uh, uh, incredibly inspirational people in life, and most of those you would have never heard of. I uh, spent some time in China um, smuggling Bibles into China from Hong Kong, and uh, it sounds rather exciting. It sounds like, what an adventure. Wow, how dangerous. Pastor Steve risking his life. So it, not at all. It was, it was, like, it was like a tourist trip. Um, you just sort of pack some Bibles in a bag or in your cloak. And, and uh, if you get caught, and I did once or twice, um, all that happens is you get, you get sort of walked into a room and you have to empty your Bibles, and then they say thank you. Then they let you on into the country. And on your exit, as you leave, you pick the Bibles back up and take them out of the country again. So it really isn't uh, too difficult unless you try and create trouble. Uh, where the real danger lies is when, um, and we all knew this in the process, that part was easy. We would then bag them up and take them to a hotel and, and, and put them in, lo in, in left luggage. And then after a few days, when we've got enough accumulated for a van full of Bibles, we would arrange a rendezvous with uh, the local, with local pastors or, or local believers. And at that point, it became very, very, very highly sensitive. Because if they're caught with a Bible, they would have been imprisoned and uh, could disappear for several years uh, for having a Bible in their hands. Uh, and all they were trying to do is get one Bible for their entire church. So they would grab a Bible and tear it up into... Into, into books, into pieces, you know, 66 books. So they could then share it around the church and then swap, swap it around. You know, do, you know, we have book clubs. They would have book clubs, but they would be swapping books of the Bible. Have you read Ephesians yet? No, no. Okay, I've got, I've got Leviticus. Would you like Leviticus? No, not really. Uh, <laughs> could I? Uh, <laughs> like, uh, we'll skip that one. Anyone got Matthew? <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't. I've got numbers. Do you want that one? Uh, I'll try somebody else. And, uh, but it, I, I, I admire and respect they were holding nothing back. They would risk themselves to follow Christ. I, I had lunch with one of the beautiful Syrian families in our church recently, and he was telling me the story of how he escaped from Syria by boat, and risking his life because these boats were not designed to be on the waters they were on. Uh, treacherous journey, survived getting here, 
and then was able to bring his family over. And, uh, and you know, I've met several people. I've been to Kurdistan and talked to a lot of refugees. Uh, a lot of them educated. They live lives just like you and I. And uh, they don't, it's not that they regret having done what they've done. Their biggest regret is having left behind people who weren't um, brave enough to make the decision to flee. Uh, we need to live our lives not being the ones left behind, but the ones who are prepared to start a fresh life, holding nothing back. And are you prepared to be an example to somebody else? Are you, to be, be prepared, are you prepared to live the sort of life someone looks at and goes, do you know what, I want to be like him. Last week I was, uh, I was driving, when we were on holiday actually, so week before last, in Croatia, there were these highways with no streetlights, a little bit like what you get when you leave uh, the Randstad area of the Netherlands. You know, um, they can't afford lights outside of, you know, once you get to, once you get beyond Lelystad and up into these, like, Enschede and it's like darkness, you're driving in darkness. And so uh, it's hard work, isn't it, when you're driving trying to drive at full speed on a highway with no streetlights. You're having to double concentrate. So it was just like this. It was just, just us and an Italian on the road. And so I decided following his lights was a lot more restful than trying to make my own way. So I just got in behind him and just, as long as he, so I trusted my life to an Italian. And, and, uh, and so I'm following him. And then, and then I would overtake him and get in front of him. So I would give him a rest. And then he would follow me for several kilometers. And then, and then uh, he would overtake me and get in front of me. And then and I'd follow his light. And we did this for a long, for like maybe 45 minutes. Uh, well, that's what, at least what I thought we were doing. He, he may have had some other thought like, oh, yes, I've overtaken him. It's my second time I've overtaken him. My thought was, thank you very much. I'll follow you now. I'll do my little kind act. And, Truth is this, we need someone who's shining a light for us to follow. Life is, life is better. It's, it's going to be a stretch when you're following somebody who's taking you somewhere into the great unknown. Are you holding back or are you holding nothing back? And so Elisha says to Joash, King Joash, he says, he says, I want you to open the window, take an arrow and fire the arrow eastward. Joash knew exactly what Elijah was doing. That sign was very clear in those days that as soon as you strike, as soon as you fire an arrow toward your, your enemy army, that was a declaration of war. And so Elisha knew that what he was asking Joash to do was step out of his apathy. And, and rather than running to Elisha because he was scared and, and looking for a way out, he's trying to get this king into a position where he's ready to fight. He's saying to the king, basically, you need to make a decision. You need to draw a line. You need to be ready and astute in your mind and heart that you are ready for a fight. And so he opens the window, he shoots the arrow, and he makes a declaration of war. And so my second thought is this, if we're going to live a life holding nothing back, we don't just need people who are inspiring us, and we don't just need to become people who inspire others, we need to make a decision that we will not be, uh, we do not have the option of going back. That is, we've made a decision, we've drawn a line, I am his, and that's it, decided. Because you will face many moments in life where that option will be challenged. And if you haven't decided, you will move backwards. Because for as long as you're in decision, you don't stand still. You travel backwards. You're in reverse. The moment someone says to you something, you start to doubt. The moment you're challenged by something, you, you, you put life on hold for a little bit while you're trying to work it out. But when you've made a decision, 
I will do anything. I will go anywhere. I will serve him. I will give of myself. When you've made a decision, I will not live a compromised life. You are, you are in a much stronger position when compromise comes your way. And it does come our way, and sometimes it comes our way frequently. We have to make that choice. Uh, I did something new for the first time uh, whilst we're on holiday. Uh, we did cliff jumping. Uh, into water, by the way. Uh, you jump off a rock or a cliff into water. And, uh, and so we're, we're doing this canyoning where you're in wetsuits and floaters and helmet and travel. We did about two or three kilometers rock climbing and in rapids and just without canoes, just with your body. And, uh, and then they would take you up onto these cliff sides to, and this was the fun bit apparently, uh, where you jump into the water. Now, uh, so the first one we came to, most people um, just climbed up the rock. So I'm in line. I'm it's like, of course, doing this, no problem. Easy. And so I get to the top of the rock, uh, having watched everybody else do it. And I've noticed that everybody else does this. They walk up to the top, and then they look down, and they hesitate. And then they jump. So I decided that that clearly is not the way to do it because I have a principle in life, just do it and do it now. So I thought to myself, well, when you get to the top, you just, you know, you just jump. That's all you do. You get to the top, jump. Easy. So, of course, I get to the top. It's my turn. I stand on the rock, and I look down, and I stop. And I hesitate. Three and a half meters, that's all it was, which is like jumping out of your bedroom window. That's all it is. Uh, when I say, I mean like standing on the windowsill, jumping out of your bedroom window. However, uh, what I hadn't realized was um, how... When you're standing down there, three and a half meters, it looks only like um, two meters because eye level's here. Oh, easy. When you're up there, three and a half meters looks like five meters because now there's the rock and there's my eyes and it looks like a long way down. So it looks very different. It's the trick of perception. And uh, I'm justifying my hesitation. So I'm standing up here and, and, uh, and all sorts of thoughts go through my mind. One of them is... One of them is um, uh, uh, <coughs> Could I get back down this rock right now? Now, and I'm thinking, now that went out of the window really quick because my two boys are watching me and a crowd of strangers. And for some reason that mattered to me. I don't know why, but anyway, call it pride or what, but it seemed to matter to me. And, and I, so I put that out of my mind real quick. Then I figured there's another way because the rock just went over like this. So I figured if I stepped forward a bit, I would lose about three centimeters because this bit of the rock was slightly didn't make much difference. And then the crowd began to cheer. You can do it. And of course, I, I just jumped. But um, and I always was going to jump uh, because I'd already made a decision. So that thought that said, why don't you go back down, didn't last more than a fraction of a second in my mind because I'd already made a choice. I will jump. And now I don't particularly like heights, but I had already made a decision. I would only go up there if I jumped. And so I was up there to jump. You just got to make a decision. I'm here to follow Jesus. I'm here to jump. Sometimes it's going to feel like I'm jumping off an edge of a cliff. Sometimes it, it won't, but I'm here holding nothing back. I've made my choice. For as long as there's an option to go back, you probably will. And then Elisha said to uh, King Joash, he said, uh, strike the ground with the arrows. So he's already shot a shot. He's already made a declaration of war. And now he's, now he's trying to test 
Uh, Joe has to see how committed he is, how far he will go. Is he really going to hold back? <clears throat> will he really shoot to the last arrow? God has given us gifts. He's given us time. He's given us people. He's given us all these things. And he's not wanting us to enter heaven going, hey, God, this wonderful gift you've given me. Here it is. I've not used it. I've kept it for you. It's been well protected. And, and here's all my money. I didn't invest it. I thought you might need it up here to build a build the mansions that we have and, and, and so on and, and so forth. And he, he's, he's looking at you disappointed. He's saying, I've given you this gift to spend it. I've given you time to spend it. I've given you money to invest it. He's basically saying, when you die, you need to be completely spent. Are you living your life like there's no tomorrow? Are you living your life like everything you've got needs to be invested are you living your life like you're shooting until all the arrows have gone? That you're, uh, you're giving everything or are you living slightly compromised knowing that you're holding something back for your settled and comfortable life? And so Joash fails the test. Interesting to know we can fail a test. And so he pulls out the arrows and he begins to shoot and he gives up because his heart is riddled with apathy and laziness and, and fear and, 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 a, and a compromised life. And so you begin to realize the thing that holds us back is our past. And so until you set fire to your past, you're never going to see your future uh, move into what it needs to. Uh, in his book, Erwin uh, McManus uh, puts it like this, for as long as you're living in your past, you will die to your future. What a horrible thought that I could miss my future simply because I'm holding on to my past. That's the wonderful thing about baptism. That's exactly what it does. It says I'm holding nothing back. I'm separating myself from my past. I'm drawing a line. I'm making a declaration that there is no option of going back. I'm burning the bridges. It's all or nothing. That's the sort of, sort of life he calls us to. It's, it's an all or nothing sort of life. When I was 19 years old, I had an encounter with God and two significant things happened to me in that year. The first thing was I got baptized in water and, and I also got baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was a profound year for me where I made some decisions that up until then I'd been living a sort of a, you know, an average, sort of pretty weakish Christian life. And uh, I didn't like that and, and, and I didn't want that anymore. And I, so I made a choice. It was all or nothing. What's the point otherwise? That thing in between, none of us like. Either be hot or cold, but don't be just lukewarm. So I made that choice and have not turned back. I, 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 I got rid of all my non-Christian music. I threw away the complete works of madness. That's a tragedy. One of the greatest 70s bands that Madness. Who knows madness? I mean, that was the craziest thing I could have ever done. What am I doing now? I'm searching madness on Apple Music. Bring it back. Bring it back. Thank God for Apple Music. You can delete it and it's still there. But it wasn't madness. Because of what it was doing internally. And maybe six months later you go, oh, it was unnecessary. Didn't really need to throw that away. It was relatively harmless, all that stuff. But that's not the point. At the, in the moment, what are you doing? You're making internal choices. You're making declarations. I want to live a life that holds nothing back. I want to live for Jesus. 
I'm going to give him my all. To do that, I need to set fire to my past. And so when the Holy Spirit nudged us in 2004 and said, come on over to Amsterdam, we did. We held nothing back. It was an uncomfortable move. I left a, a secure pastoring job. It paid well. Well, paid. I mean, it was a pastoring job, but it paid. It, it, it was an income. And, and, uh, it took me about five years to get that back. Here, we had no money in the first year. It, it wasn't a comfortable choice at all. But we didn't hesitate. Why? Because for for, say, 12 years previous, we'd learned the habit. We'd made a decision. We had others out there. People like Pastor Phil Pringle was here just a few weeks ago. Living bold. Living big. Is that the sort of life you want? Or are you holding on to your past? We've made a decision. We're going to set fire to our past. We won't listen to the voices that are trying to tempt us back. Some of you are stuck in your past. The reason Elisha was so angry was because he had given up everything. When Elijah walked past one day and he goes, man, I want to be like him. He's living the big life. He's making things happen. He's restoring. He's bringing revival to the nation. I want to live like that. What did Elisha do? He said goodbye to his family. He took his plow and his ox. He made an altar and he set it on fire. Sometimes we even have to set on fire the good things in our lives to move on to the greater things. Are you willing to? Some of us are not stuck in our past. Pornography is holding you back. Regret of a decision you made yesterday is holding you back. The shame of something that's now like 10 years old is still holding you back. But you find your comfort by giving yourself to something else, your family, your work, or, or some other thing, but not Jesus because that could be too confrontational. You get stuck with that guy you're dating that's not, you know, it's not good for you, but it's, 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 it's safe, it's, it's familiar. You've been complaining about the horrible job that you hate for three years now and you're still in it. And then when someone comes along and says you can give up your miserable life and exchange it for a full life, you're not sure because, and this always amazes me when I say that Jesus could set you free from the things that trouble you, can reorganize your world, can give you a hope, can set you free from shame, can give you the right person in your world, and yet people still hesitate because they will not set their past on fire because it's what they know. And all we can invite you to is the unknown. But if you don't take that step, you will never know the eternity you're losing out on. Can we close our eyes right now? Because what we're talking about is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternity. It's a matter of hope or hopelessness. If you're not living for Jesus fully, you will have a life that is compromised. It'll hit moments where you feel paralyzed and don't have the strength to move forward. It'll have moments where it's unsatisfied, unfulfilling, and you'll wonder what you're here for. But when you give yourself fully to Christ, your heart will be filled with purpose. And on the difficult days, you'll keep pushing through because you know God's got a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. 
And so, Father, today we make a choice, all of us, to, to give ourselves to you fully. We don't hold back. We're not here to compromise. Bedankt voor het luisteren naar onze podcast. We zien je graag terug in een van onze diensten. Kijk op onze website voor tijden en locaties.